And I'm Chris. And this is Eggs and Espionage, the origins of James Bond. spy stuff man the whole thing actually no we're at we're at nine the game is baccarat the game is baccarat the game is baccarat does anyone play baccarat anymore does anyone play baccarat that's a great question uh one that i have not researched uh i they does explain the rules fairly thoroughly so i don't know if anyone played baccarat in his time either <laughs> it's a good point I wonder if it was just one of those games that like only the extremely elite and wealthy played since you could basically be the bank. And so Bond felt the need to mansplain that to uh I guess. He's like, Yeah, no one no one could possibly understand this. It's gotta still be played somewhere. I mean, card games don't usually fall out of fashion, right? Forbes Forbes published an article last year asking the question why casinos love and fear the game of baccarat. <laughs> Because people get shot in their stool seats and... I guess, yeah. It <laughs> encourages extreme violence. They try to fund their covert That's operations. That's how world terrorism there. is funded. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so here, here's what I'm finding is that Macau um, has 40 casinos. They made almost 90% of their cash in 2006 from Baccarat. So it's really popular in Asia. Um, not so much... In the states, but I, I feel if you if you went to Vegas, you could probably wrestle up a game. Also, if I had like twenty five million dollars, I'm sure I could wrestle up anything I fucking wanted to in Las Vegas. That's true. All right, so chapter nine. So he doesn't get right into the game. First, he and Vesper are still finishing up dinner. Bond looked around, but there was no possibility of being overheard, and the caviar would be waiting for the hot toast from the kitchens. Tell me. His eyes. He loves that toast. Which I think is just code for really the best things in life are the things that we can all afford anyway. Like the the caviar is unimportant. He's like, I could pay $900 an ounce for caviar or salted butter and it would be just as good. (laughs) But anyway, she goes on to explain that the third burglar was also captured. Not, Not burglar. Bulgar. The Bulgar. There was the two bombers that were Bulgarians that he narrowly avoided through his own stupidity while he was cocksuredly walking at them and judging them. Um, And then they blow themselves up and nearly him. Um, And those are the two Bulgarians. And then the third Bulgarian, who was like the um, control for the operation, tried to escape. But he got caught um, on his way to Paris. And uh, they arrested him and they, you know, tortured him and got some additional information about what had happened like the guy basically like explained the whole operation right um, because they tortured him all while so she explains this while they get delivered their caviar their hot toast Mm -hmm. and their finely chopped onions grated hard grated hard-boiled egg i don't think i've ever had a grated yeah the question is do they grate just the yolk oh they say yeah their white isn't grated the white in one dish the yolk in another that's interesting yeah but I don't think I've ever grated an egg. No, I haven't, but it sounds like a good idea. Because eggs are delicious in a, in a variety of manners, and I think adding it like this to your caviar would be delightful. Why not? 
Bond very poignantly says uh, it's very satisfactory to be a corpse who changes places with his murderers. Mm-hmm. And they threw in, uh, for them, it certainly was a case of being hoist with their own petard. <laughs> We're so British. <laughs> uh, yeah. He goes to learn a little bit more about Vesper, right? He asks her, well, hey, how'd you become involved? She talks about being the personal assistant to the head of S. And she starts to get a little gushy on him. And and this brings up one of my favorite lines in the book where she says something like, oh, she's like, oh, it's always my dream to work with the double O. You guys are so cool. And he's just like, quote, it's not difficult to get a double O number if you're prepared to kill people. Yeah. He's just so uh, modest about it. That's all the meaning it has. It's nothing to be particularly proud of. I've got corpses of a Japanese cipher expert in New York and a Norwegian double agent in Stockholm. That's it. He's killed two, literally two people at this point in his career. Yeah. And he's nailed 007. It's the start. Probably quite decent people. I feel like they would have been uh, good friends of mine in, in a different life, but there you go. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's really uh, self-aware. He doesn't glamorize anything. Like, in the movies, it's it's all, like, showy and glamorous and the idea of Bond killing people coldly and dispassionately and almost enjoying it is like something different from him just being like it's not cool <laughs> like it was like taking out the trash I just I had to do it yeah but I, I don't think he sees it like that because in the, he also says they just got caught up in the gale of the world that like that Yugoslav that Tito bumped off you know he's just like it's just the way of our world they were on the wrong side of it some double, someone was getting their double O that day. Right. But then he, he tries to change the subject, right? He asks about the grated egg with the caviar. She says, I'm loving my dinner. It's a shame. And he realizes right away, yeah. Oh, yeah. We wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for the job, right? But we're kind of digging each other. They start to feel pretty good about each other. And then... Uh, and he's like, stupid bond. I'm getting confused getting too close. with sex. You know that you can only have sex with a woman after the job's been done. She's just going to muddle it up with her stupid feelings. God damn it. So he gets right back to business. Let's consider what needs to be done. Stupid. Stop thinking with your your penis bond. (laughs) Yeah, which is also different from the film version where he would be, I mean, if it was Roger Moore, he would be like, I can save the world tomorrow. Let me try to fuck someone. I got to concentrate on the work. Work is always more important than than the broads here. I know. It's, uh, It's different. And then he goes to mansplain basically how to play Baccarat. That's right, which is very important. Well, he doesn't even ask. He's like, hey, do you even know Baccarat? Like, do you have familiarity with the game? He just says, I better explain to you what I'm trying to do. What's interesting is that, like you were saying earlier, the big thing is, like, the sheep, he's the bank, right? So they're paying the casino a small percentage, but basically, like, he is the casino, and he's just paying to, like, use their space. The banker plays heads up with people going around the table. It's not like blackjack where everyone is playing together at the same time against the dealer. And there's like multiple bets happening at once. It goes from like one person to another. They get two cards. They add those cards up to get the highest number possible. If the betting's too high for you, you don't have to play. You just bet when you want. You would start off and be like, all right, this first round we're betting $5 million dollars. To, my, to the first player, and they're like, Banco. He deals out two cards. You add the value of the cards. All face cards are worth zero, um, and whoever has the closest to nine wins. And you can get as many cards as you want, but you have to add up, and the total, it's the second number. So if you get a nine and a seven, you would get 16, but your score would be a six. And so then if you got another card and it was a three, you would have a nine, which would be the highest, and you would win. And then what happens is, when 
somebody wins, the dealer can like up the ante and they like double the ante and double the ante. And when the ante gets really high, like multiple players can chip in together to make the bank. And so Bond's whole idea is to like build up a really like expensive bank against the sheaf. They break the bank or break the player, right? Exactly. Is there anything particular about Bond's strategy here that's worth noting? It's, he's got that whole thing we were talking about with luck in the last one. He's like, I'm just going to go try to kill him. It, it is quite brutal. There's no finesse to it. A four or five is in the middle. So you ha that's where you really have to choose, am I going to draw something? If you have a three or less, you pretty much have to draw. The odds of improving your hand are better. But if you have higher numbers, you don't draw because the odds of improving your hand are smaller. And so he's basically like, I play by instinct. Like, I play by feel when, when we're on that coin toss of having a four or five. And he says at the end, it's, it's the natural eights and nines that matter. And I must see that I get more of them than he does, because there's no way for you to see to that unless you're counting cards, right? I don't even think it matters in this, because they shuffle a billion decks together, and then they throw all the decks away. His, his whole crux is, um, he says, but there is one problem card in this game. Shall one draw or stand on a five? And what will your opponent do with the five? Some players always draw or always stand. I follow my intuition. Not to change subject, but there's one great quote in this chapter about Vesper's boss explaining Bond's character to her that, that I think is worth knowing. And he says, don't imagine that this is going to be any fun. He, i.e. Bond, thinks of nothing but the job on hand and, while it's on, He's absolute hell to work for, but he's an expert and there aren't many about, so you won't be wasting your time. He's a good looking chap, but don't fall for him. Mm -mm. I don't think he's got much heart. Anyway, good luck. Don't get hurt. I do love that um, double standard where her boss is like, whatever you do, don't fuck him. And then Bond's friend Mathis is like, whatever you do, fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> they had a lot of protuberances, man. Uh, once he's explained, once he's condescended to her enough... Then it's time to move on to chapter 10. The high table. Bond and the sheaf meet heads to head. Bond finally gets to go sit at the back rack table after he's had his very high class dinner and champagne and goblet of vodka. Very, very cold. Very, very cold. Yeah, definitely worth pointing out. He's had a few glasses of champagne and, and several of vodka. Um, but Bond starts to get excited. Which we don't see a whole lot. He does. He's a pretty cold guy, but his pulse quickens. But it's not even about Vesper. Like, he's just so excited and focused on what he needs to do now. He's right. almost, like, giddy about gambling. He's not trying to be mean to her. He's just like, I, I don't have time to worry about you anymore. Doesn't matter. He just sticks all the notes in his pockets. He heads over the table. A seat at number six, right in the middle. Then he, well, this is great. He starts to size up the other players, right? Yeah, and right. that's like a great scene. Like, you gotta love this. <laughs> it's it's like full of so much good stuff. He's just like looking at all, and just all these like weird, rich characters that are here to gamble. Like, yeah. Like, totally judges every one of them by their looks oh, and nationality. Nationality is a huge, huge part. Presumably provided by his rich American wife, a middle-aged woman with the predatory mouth of a barracuda. <laughs> yup. Who was paying for Lord Danvers at number nine. Um, at number seven on his right, there was Monsieur Sixt, a wealthy Belgian with mineral interests in the Congo. And in 1954, to have mineral interests in the Congo basically meant you were committing genocide in the Congo. So good on Monsieur Sixt. <laughs> um... Yeah, and what I like is what he says about the um, 
the, the American couple with the Barracuda, Bond reflected that they would probably play a pawky and nervous game and would be amongst the early casualties. And I didn't know what pawky meant, so I looked it up, and it was kind of like a cheeky, sarcastic, um, yeah. humorous thing. So it's like these people don't even care. They're not going to take it serious. They're going to like be joking around um, and just get knocked out. And then number eight was the Maharaja of a small Indian state. I know. Good stuff. I like this. Who's with all his wartime sterling balances to play with. Bond's experience told him that few of the Asiatic races were courageous gamblers. <laughs> Even the much-vaunted Chinese, here's, here you go, yeah. being inclined to lose heart if it was going bad. Which I, I, I questioned, like, is that, is that racist? I, I mean, I guess it's stereotypical. The Chinese are pretty well regarded as gamblers i mean they, they it is it is a big part of chinese culture to gamble so they're you know like i don't know how racist that is i mean it is factually accurate as well but like but just to but say like they're gonna lose a... heart like if the going's bad like the chinese are a lesser race so they're gonna lose heart is what i take from this which of course is racist so there you go and also to say that an Indian guy and a Chinese guy are basically the same. I'm assuming all those Asiatic races are, are one and the same. Exactly. Like, they're separate continents. Come on. But yeah, so we got a couple couple of Americans. We got a uh, Carmel Delane, the American film star, whose three husbands have basically just paid her alimony now. Mm-hmm. And the DuPonts. Right, we, got... we got the DuPonts, which, which in the 50s, right, they would have invented Teflon. And then we got a young Italian guy, Signor Tomelli, who probably had plenty of money from the rack rents in Milan. I don't know what rack rents are. Is that like slumlording? Yeah, that's what I would imagine. And would probably play a dashing and foolish game. He might lose his temper and make a scene. They're all slumlords who just go <laughs> ape shit. Slumlords. Yep. And then, of course, we have Mr. Lashiv, who's the bank. So it's quite an eclectic table for... For a night out in Royale, right? Exactly. And none of them know that they're about to uh, break a major spy. They're sitting at the same table that's being bankrolled by a Russian underground, what would you even call it, conspiracy collective? Yeah. They just thought they were out to gamble a few million of their dollars. Deals out his first cards uh, to the Greek. Oh yeah, there's a Greek too. He missed the Greek. The Greek gets a seven and Lashif gets a nine. He loses a million, the Greek loses a million francs. That's when they say Suivi? Suivi, yeah, and that's a double or nothing kind of situation. And he loses two million now. Yep. So the the bank keeps going up until nobody takes the bet, and then it drops back right. down. So the bank, the coupier says, all right, the bank is set at two million, and the table's silent until it gets the bond, who says triumphantly, Banco. Banco de Boo. And then battle is joined in chapter 11. The moment of the truth. moment of truth. Ah. Le Schiff looks incuriously at him. The white of his eyes, which showed all around the irises, lending something impassive and doll-like to his gaze. Yeah, they make him pretty slimy. <laughs> With his inhaler. Yeah. But the, one Probably of the best Jewish. scenes is later in this chapter, he like takes a puff on the inhaler and like stares Bond in the eyes. And he's just like... <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Because I, I don't know what kind of inhaler they had in the 50s, but uh, I can think about it. Like, when we were kids, <laughs> those big, you know, L-shaped inhalers. <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. It's actually, like, a nasal inhaler. He, like, puts it in his oh, nose God. and, like, snorts it, like, staring him dead in the eyes, like, in both nostrils. <laughs> it happens, like, right as Bond boncos him. He inserts the nozzle of the cylinder into his nose, and with obscene go. deliberation, 
twice into each black nostril, the benzedrine vapor. But benzedrine, I think, is like a stimulant. Yeah, it's um, the first pharmaceutical amphetamine. And Bond never removes his gaze from his gaze, stares him down. We get right into it. I, I, love that, I love that the banker has to deal the cards, too. I don't know why. So it means, like, no employees from the... All the employee at the casino is doing is, like, announcing the amounts. Or no, well, he yeah. slips the cards. So, so Le Chiv, like, will fan out the two cards, and then the coupier slides them over to Bond or whoever's playing. Isn't that, like, the most luxurious? You don't even have to whip it across the table. Like somebody else has a little spatula to whip it, to pick it up and drop it on the other side. Basically, it's a, he's like a spatula, a spatula professional. And what does Bond get his very first hand? An unbeatable nine. Four and a five. He, uh, and he flips it over with such disdain. And there's a little gasp of envy from the crowd who see him win two million like it was nothing. With a hint of a shrug, Lashiv slowly faced his own two cards and flicked them away with his fingernail. They were two valueless knaves. So as he's, as he's um, winning this hand, he starts to scan around the uh, crowd, and he starts to look for the gunmen of Lashiv's who are just kind of hanging out. And he notices one who he describes as looking like Corsican shopkeeper with like bad teeth, and he's like kind of a small guy. I love that like a shopkeeper is supposed to have some kind of image for me. Either way, Bond does not like the look of this guy. Says he seemed to be a cripple, he had thickly greased hair, very bad teeth, wore a black mustache. Uh, naked, Bond supposed, he would be an obscene object. And this is where I'm getting back to uh, Fleming was a closeted homosexual. I mean, when I meet new people... You don't often When I meet new men, I don't often... Nakedness. Yeah, I don't often immediately suppose what their nakedness would be wait is that like a known fact that fleming was a homosexual you're supposing i'm supposing that i don't think it was a known fact but i'm pretty sure he was um but the other guy he describes as as looking something like lenny of mice and men he says but his inhumanity would not come from infantilism but from drugs marijuana bond decided <laughs> he's, he's like this guy looks like he's a killer not because he doesn't get it like Lenny, but because he's smoking the marijuana. Because he's a reefer addict. Soulless, murderous reefer addict. So the game continues, and it's going around the circle. People are betting. The betting's dropping off. So, But eventually the betting comes around, and it gets up to, what, $4 million, right? And then Bond calls out Banco. And so this is the funny scene that always reminds me of... Uh, Austin Powers, anyway. Bond gets dealt a five, which we're told is, is basically a marginal card, right? He either needs to hit or stay, uh, and as we know, he plays by his intuition. Bond elects to stay, and Le Chief draws a seven, so just like that, Bond loses his first four million. So the bet goes up, doubles to eight million now. Bond calls Sweeby. And once again, Bond loses to Le Chief's natural mind that he's dealt. So there's another $8 million down. So right away, Bond's lost $12 million with two quick hands. And Fleming says, like snow and sunshine, his capital has melted. So naturally, the bet goes up again, 16 mil. Bond once again calls Sweevy. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense. Bond's not really there to make money. He's there to clean out the bankers. So he's just going to keep going hard uh, until he breaks the bank or loses. But now it's his last 16 mil. He's basically all in. Leaders looking worried. 
up on the railings watching him, sweating. But smiling kind of nicely. And Bond knows she really doesn't understand what's happening. But he's <laughs> cool with her anyway. And let's see, what are they dealt? What are the big hands here? I don't even know. Four giving the bank a count of nine. But so it doesn't matter. Once again, gets Bond loses. He's beaten. He's cleaned out. That's the end of the book, right? That's the end of the book. So he loses all of his money. Um, he goes back to England and they fire him. Um, and he spends the rest of his days as a used car salesman. That's right. You know, trying to get Vesper to... Uh, she won't sleep with him because he lost $24 Because he lost his job, yeah. <laughs> Even though he killed those two guys, he's just not as cool anymore. But he always talks about it. <laughs> <laughs> I killed two people. All right, James. <laughs> I love it. Bond sat silent, frozen with defeat. He opened his wide black case and took out a cigarette. What else are you going to do? You just lost $24 billion. Nobody, Nobody really knows that he's, like, cleaned out. His first reaction is his embarrassment, right? What now? Back to the hotel bed, avoiding the commiserating eyes of Mathis, Leader, and Vesper? Like, he's just too embarrassed. Back to the telephone call to London, then tomorrow playing home, then to the Regent's Park. He's just like, shit, man, that was it? Well, I mean, this chapter is interesting, though, because, like, he's sitting there with his face, like, uh... And what he, then he looks up. Mathis and Vesper are there, and Vesper's giving him a smile of encouragement, and he's like, bitch, I just fucking lost. <laughs> oh, and Lighter knows I lost, and that dude, like, bailed. When you lose, man, Texas is gone. So he's sitting there like a freaking moron, and then Lighter... And then Leader shows up again. He's back. Yeah, he, he comes back, and he's like, Here's $32 because <laughs> the bet's doubled. But nobody would take a bet at $32 million. So it's kind of like hanging out there on the table right now. And Bond's sitting there like, whatever. And then later comes up. He's like, here's some money. So the U.S. had to bail, bail England out again. Leader puts a note in there that says, Marshall Aid, 32 million francs with compliments of the USA. Nothing like putting a little guilt in there for D-Day. <laughs> but Bond has the money. And so he sweeves the $32 million bet. It starts to like draw a crowd. Like people are like, "What the what?" People start to gather around, um, and it's making a big deal. So he's he's betting everything that the Americans gave him again <laughs> in one go. In one go. And it's worth noting that I guess Lashiv only needs around another eight million to hit his goal of like fifty mil. Lashiv needs eight million. He doesn't want to bet thirty-two million. He has to bet thirty-two million by the rules of Baccarat if Bond has right. thirty-two million to put up. But if Bond wins the $32 million, that's going to clean out the sheaf. And what do they say here? Uh, the stake had only once been reached this high in the history of Baccarat at Deauville in 1950, the rival casino. So this is we're making history here with the size of this bank right now. Mm -hmm. So everyone's gathering around. There's lots of excitement. Uh, and all of a sudden, Bond feels uh, a little poke in his back. And it... It says in the book, I'll read from it. At the same time, a thick voice speaking Southern French said softly, urgently, just behind his right ear. This is good, monsieur. It is absolutely silent. It can blow the base of your spine off without a sound. You will appear to have fainted. I shall be gone. Withdraw your bet before I count to ten. If you call for help, I shall fire. The voice was very confident, and Bond believed it. Yeah, so <laughs> the chief uh, is using his gunman now to get out of his bet. Which is, Which smart. is funny because if Lashif wins, he's like done, man. He's he's not only got his cash, he's made a profit. If he loses, he's gonna lose too much. He needs his eight, and he needs to get out of there. 
Because the Russians are going to kill him otherwise. He's not, like, trying to make money. He's trying to, like, not be murdered by the Russians more than anything. And so he starts counting. Un. Bond turns his head. Du. (laughs) Trois. And in the count of ten, he makes a sweet plan. His sweet plan is... I like that he looks up at... He sees, um... He sees Vesper and Lighter, like, talking, and he's like, you fucking twats. What are you fucking doing over there? Like, somebody, no one sees this. No one sees this. I got a gun in my head. I got a gun in my head. No one sees this? Come on, guys. Come on. Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) So instead of getting helped out, he actually saves himself and, like, kicks his chair back real hard, knocks the gun down out of the guy's hand, uh, makes a huge scene, and basically thwarts the plot of the gunman. Right. And the gun you have to assume does go off, right? Because there's no more rubber tip. Bond, ex- he explains the gun, right? Yeah, the gun goes off, but it would look like a walking stick. So he just basically, he just right. gives the walking, he tells the the Hussier, who's like the spatula guy, yeah, to, to give it to Felix, and Felix like can check it out. The gunman really didn't think this one out too well. A little bit of skill here, so it's like the one time Bond misses death by his own actions. And then he gets up, he's like, sorry, I just fainted. Should a doctor be fetched? He's like, no, 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 no need for a doctor. Let's just, uh, we're making history here, people. Don't go get a doctor. So he makes like a 10 minute, a 10 minute like delay to the game, um, which is unheard of at the baccarat table. But, you know, whatever. 32 million. It's more hype. And so the casino likes it. So that ends the chapter once they settle down to play again. And then we go into chapter 13. A whisper of love, a whisper of hate. And this chapter is amazing it is a super drawn out chapter that basically uh you're drawing out your summary too nice <laughs> no i yeah right i love bond's mind was clear again so he taps he taps the felt he's like i'm in i'm in let's do this for 32 mil and suddenly he's clear again right? yeah and everything's good and uh, so Lashiv takes out his inhaler, snorts some amphetamine. Miss Dupont is not pleased. By miracle, I thought, so one thing I noted about this chapter, and it seems like in this one, wherever skill is involved, they kind of cite it as luck and vice versa. So like right away, he says, by miracle, he had survived a devastating wound. Like, that wasn't a miracle. You kicked the stool back. You managed that situation. There was no miracle there. Miracles when a palm tree... Blocked you from being blown up earlier. <laughs> that was yeah. a miracle. He could uh, feel his armpits still sweat, uh, still wet with the fear of it. But it's all good now because he's back to gambling. Yeah, it's uh, and it's 2 a.m., we should point out. So he's been gambling. Either it's been going on a really long time or they started really late. It's like three or four hours. Um, so he wins. Fleming really does make this overly dramatic. Fanned the two cards under the curtain of his hand. The muscles of his jaw rippled as he clenched his teeth. His whole body stiffened in a reflex and self, of self-defense. He had two queens, two red queens. And so Bond's first dealt, nothing. Zero. He's got Baccarat. Nothing. The banker slowly turns his car's face up. He had a three. So right now we're zero and three. And he says, I'll, I'll take a hit. Give me a card. To keep his hopelessness out of his voice. <laughs> It was a nine. So the one card Bond asked for, boom, is a nine. They call it a whisper of love, a whisper of hate. That's not, that's the nine of hearts. Nine of hearts. Whisper of love, whisper of Yeah, love. but it shows yeah. Lashif at this point doesn't know that Bond has two queens. 
One card's showing face up, two cards are showing face down, so he doesn't know what right. Bond had. Bond callously flips it over and shows that he won. And a great gasp went up around the table. And then a hubbub of talk. Bond's eyes never, never leave Le Chiv, though. The big man fell back in his chair as if slugged above the heart. His mouth opened and shut once or twice in protest, and his right hand felt, felt at his throat. And what's funny is, you know, Bond sits back and lights a cigarette, so he lit a cigarette when, when he was down to nothing, and now he's lighting a cigarette when he's up 70 mil or whatever it is. Um, and as he sits back at a small table beside him, it says, half a bottle of Clicquot, which is a, a champagne, and a glass materialized. Without asking who the benefactor was, Bond filled the glass to the brim and drank it down in two long drafts. Seems kind of uh, kind of silly that a man of espionage and, and spycraft here would just, after almost getting killed, you know, at the foot of his spine here on a chair while, while gambling, uh, that he would just sit here and take a drink from that materialized next one without even knowing who would give it to him, right? No chance of it being poison. I'm sure it's just regular champagne. Ten million, the bank calls out, and that's what Lashif has left. And once again, Bond calls out Banco to wipe him out. This is the death blow. And you know what? This one he doesn't drag out. Bond immediately gets a Basically, nine. Basically, he gets a nine, and Lashif gets two kings. So he's like, wasn't yeah. even a close call. You know, it's the one-two punch, right? The one, the first punch was the big one. Lashif like gets up, walks out of there, and Bond is left with this pile of seventy million francs on the table in front of him, which I estimate is two and a half million dollars by modern standards. Um, and Lashif is out of there. Yeah. Which I guess there's no graceful way to leave when you've just lost fifty million or forty-four million in francs, right? Dude bails. Bond goes and, like, scoffs a little bit, brags a little bit, has a little drink with Felix, with Mathis, with Vesper. And he's imagining Le Chiv is now on his way to Le Havre or Bordeaux to pick yeah, up for a boat. And Bond shrugs his shoulders. Sufficient unto that day had been its evil. And that's basically it, you know? Like, I mean, the, the night comes to close. All Bond really does after that is he uh, walks lighter back to his hotel room, and then he um, grabs, grabs some more cigarettes. Put some fresh cigarettes in Wait. his case. Like, dude literally put 50 cigarettes in his case before he left for the night. But done with those ones. Needs more. He gazed for a moment into the mirror and wondered about Vesper's morals. <laughs> hmm. Think she'd go for a guy like me? Uh, and then he goes back out to Vesper. Eggs and Espionage is produced and edited by Flashback Productions. Music in this episode is brought to you by Aggravated Allegory. I'm your host, Chris, and on behalf of myself and Ian, I want to thank you for listening to Episode 4 and our review of Ian Fleming's Casino Royale, the first book in the James Bond novel series. In the next episode, after a mentally exhaustive win, Bond's late-night celebration is cut short, we enter into a high-speed chase where Bond really gets to open up his Bentley, and once again Bond is face-to-face with his enemy. Next time on Eggs and Espionage, the origins of James Bond.